Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Rising as One podcast. This is Dominic Kearns joined by Kyle Mackey and a special guest, Joseph Lowry. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. You know, another great dollar beer night, another great weekend, and uh, just glad to have you here, Joe. Your first time on the pod, I believe, correct? Yeah, no, it's my first time. Uh, I appreciate uh, Dom and Kyle for having me on, and I'm looking forward to talking some Phoenix Rising. Absolutely. 14 in a row now. And did you guys see any of the stuff before the match? Any of the uh, Bud Light press? I mean, Joseph, you know a lot about this because you wrote a great article for The Athletic about it. Yeah, I knew when I was doing some background for that article, Sam Doerr had told me that there was going to be some some Bud Light uh, partnership or uh, you know association that Bud Light would be sending some people down to, to work on a project here with the team. So I wasn't particularly surprised to see some some press from Bud Light, but it was, I mean, it's cool. It's always fun to see some exposure coming from some maybe unconventional places, getting to see the, the video crew coming down and working on a, a well-put-together video interviewing some of the players and, and shots and, and you know, Bobby Dooley and, and Michael Vanderplas. So it's it was a good time. I think it's fun. It brings some nice exposure for the club for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I kind of, I kind of was, you know, in the know about it just from seeing stuff, teases on social media, and the Bud Light film crew was out at the El Paso match last week as well. So, um, kind of was aware that something was in the works. But I mean, just to have something of this scale, this kind of exposure, I think last time I saw on Twitter, I mean, this thing has thousands of likes, hundreds of retweets. So it's it's a big deal for Rising to be able to, you know, get on a, to a page of Bud Light's status. So. I think it's huge. It's going to be, you know, awesome to see what kind of, uh, you know, new fans come from this promotion. And shout out to Jose Bosch for putting the Real Salt Lake Twitter on blast the day before the match. They had a $5 <laughs> Bud Light promotion, and that that was a murder. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the same number of retweets as our beers will cost tomorrow. Someone Someone replied with the list of burn centers. That was, that I was saw that, stuff. yeah. <laughs> um, but let's get into the match before we just talk too much about all the all the promotions and the hype around Dollar Beer Night. This was going to be a tough one. Um, looked like a pretty standard lineup. The only change from regular is probably AJ Cochran coming in. A lot of people might have expected Farrell to start alongside Mulla. I'm sure Mike Vanderplas wasn't thrilled about that, but actually... Uh, James Musa got a start too. So Musa and Lambert starting together. Aginaga on the bench for this match. And then the typical top three of John Asante Flemings. What were you guys' thoughts on this? I mean, for me, you know, I just kind of figured being that both Musa and Cochran are starting, you know, it kind of looks as if Shantz is approaching this game with a bit more of a defensive mindset um not looking you know to get beat in the midfield i think that's why he went with both musa and lambert just because they're both so solid um but i mean really we talk about it i mean these guys are pretty much interchangeable Farrell and cochran and musa and lambert so really not surprised to see any of them get the start yeah no i'm totally with kyle on that as far as trying to predict a lineup before these games happen, it's so hard at this point in the season because Mala, Cochran, and Farrell, they are, I mean, they're not interchangeable. Each one has their own specific skill set, but they're all capable of starting next to one of the other in that trio. So those three guys in the back are always 
pretty solid. They have their you know the ebbs and flows as far as performance goes, but any two of them could start in any given week. And then in midfield, Schantz said after the match that part of the reason you know that you had Lambert and Musa playing together was to give uh, Jose Aguinaga a little bit of a rest after picking up a slight injury last week. Um, but you know the the real reason for that was exactly what Kyle mentioned: getting those two defensively to cover ground in midfield against Reno's midfield diamond. I mean, Reno basically has four players to Phoenix's three in midfield, so you need guys who can really extend and stretch the field and cover ground defensively when needed. So, as far as the lineup goes, I think it was you know pretty standard stuff. We'll see some rotation over the next few weeks, but nothing really shocked me there. Um, so yeah, that's what I would say as far as the actual lineup is concerned. Yeah, I think the only thing that surprised me maybe was um, Aguinaga getting that rest, but given that explanation, it makes a lot of sense. He's been a fixture in our starting eleven, so I mean I'm fine with it. Musa and Lambert have both proven that they can play at a starting level, so why not why not give them that chance? So we get started and. Is kind of a weird start to this match. I didn't feel like Phoenix had a lot of quality chances in the early going until about the 20th minute when Junior Flemings got us started. Um, and this was something that we were really excited to see because he hadn't scored since before the Gold Cup. He's actually been in a bit of a drought goal-wise. He's been stuck in single digits for some time. Kyle, what were your thoughts on this play? Yeah, I'm... Me and you, you know, we were sitting together in the supporter section, and I actually brought it up when we were talking how the match was kind of slow in those first 20 minutes. How Flemo just, you know, he's he's had, you know, some influence as far as providing assists, but we haven't seen his goal-scoring prowess. And, I mean, for me to show up in that moment and just slice and dice the entire defense like that, I mean, that just shows the ability that Junior Flemings has, and I know that's the reason why Rick Schrantz brought him in. Um, and, I, I mean, really, I think this match was is dying for that kind of moment on dollar you know we need that excitement to feed off of with the beers you know it gets us pumped gets us going and i think for those first 20 minutes like you said it was kind of stagnant so to be able to get that goal early on in the 20th i think that was just crucial yeah joseph what did what did you have to add about the first 20 minutes and the goal itself yeah, the first 20 minutes, I thought Phoenix actually came out pretty well in the first few minutes. There weren't a ton of of actual shots on goal or chances early on in the match, but I thought they set the tone well, which was a nice change from you know the last few weeks. We've seen here and there Phoenix kind of start a little bit slowly. So seeing them start a little bit more on the front foot, it took, it took Reno a few minutes uh, to even really kind of get the ball into the attacking half. So they started well, and then Reno did find the game. They started to press pretty well. Uh, both teams were pressing and, and daring the other team to try to build from the back. And it was pretty even, at least in my opinion, between the two teams at that point. And then that Fleming's goal was just, I mean, just pure quality. You can see him. He's always trying to cut in on his right foot from that left wing. He, I put on Twitter right after he scored. Might as well call him the Jamaican Aryan Robin. Robin starts on the right and cuts in on the left. But, I mean, it's the same principle, right? It's that inverted winger that uh, can sort of try to take the defense off guard. Um, one thing I noticed a few minutes before Flemings had that goal, uh, he had the ball on the left wing in a, in a similar situation, and Reno defended him, basically just daring him to drive to down his left foot to the end line. They, they were cutting completely off that inside angle. And so it took him 
another try to get it. Essentially, Reno Reno denied it the first time, and then Flemings came back a couple minutes later and caught him off guard. He went through four or five guys and, and got a shot into that bottom right corner and, and beat the keeper. One of I think one of my favorite goals, one of the most impressive goals, at least in my opinion, that a Phoenix Rising player has scored this season. Definitely one of the more important ones because I think he's had one or two like that that come to mind. There was one against um, Tacoma Defiance earlier in the season that was real quality, again, cutting in on that left side. But, I mean, it was Tacoma Defiance. The significance isn't there. So in this match, a 1-2 match in the West, having that kind of quality goal, yeah, could not come at a better moment. What were your thoughts on the rest of this half? Because... In my opinion, Reno played us, you know, they were the superior team the remainder of that first half, and we were just trying to hang on, get to the locker room with that 1-0 lead. Um, And it's the second week where it's felt like that. Since we got the first goal, then the other team is more taking it to us than vice versa. Yeah, I totally agree with you there, Dom. Um, I think Reno really did a good job of getting out on the front foot. They they pressed Phoenix very well, forced Zach Lubin into some uncomfortable passing situations. And I think Reno did a good job of winning the second ball. Once they pressure Phoenix and, and Phoenix would have to play a contested pass upfield, um, and both teams were battling to win that second ball, I think Reno did a good job of, of being quick to those loose balls and then quickly you know attacking upfield from there. So you can just see the quality that Reno has. I, I absolutely think they're a contender in the Western Conference. They their forwards did an excellent job of trying to get in behind Phoenix's back line, especially at the end of that first half when maybe Phoenix was was struggling to gain some footing and the attack uh, for themselves. So I think their game plan was really smart uh, from Ian Russell and I think they executed it well that that really gave Phoenix some trouble. Kyle, what were your thoughts? before halftime yeah i mean joe was absolutely right reno had a great game plan and um i i was just re-watching the highlights and you know right there before halftime in the 46th minute Corey herzog gets the ball out on the right side of the goal and chips in a ball for musovsky and i mean lubin has to make a ridiculous save here to get there in front of that ball for me i mean that was just so a close chance that on another night reno puts that in and we're going into half one one so you know phoenix like we said they didn't have the best end to the first half but they were very fortunate there i feel i think that actually hit off the i post. think so yeah it I'm did seeing yeah it now it did i looked at Lubin it wasn't game. gonna get that either if that doesn't hit the post that's in it wow. seemed it really was just a, go ahead oh go for it i was just gonna say it really did seem like Reno was almost doing everything but scoring at the end of that first half. Like, you know, they'd be excellent for 67% of the field and they get in the final third and, and, you know, a Phoenix defender would make a last ditch or, you know, they'd somehow, a Reno attacker would just fall over or lose his balance or, you know, hit a ball off the post. So I do think Phoenix was a bit fortunate uh, at the end of that half to keep that lead going into halftime. But then, you know, after halftime, we saw some, some things take place in the match as well that had a real impact on the rest of the game and the final score. For sure, and I think one big talking point, um, it'll definitely be a talking point on the Reno show, is Lindo and Feka coming on for Gilbert Fuentes. I saw a couple post-match comments where Reno fans were upset that Fuentes even had the start to begin with. Uh, Fuentes, I believe, was a, a player with the San Jose Academy, 
and he got brought to Reno just before the match. And Mfeka is their number 10. He's usually starting for them. Um, and he made a pretty big impact right away. What, what did you take from that, Joseph? Yeah, Fuentes, Dom, you're absolutely right about that. Fuentes is, a, is an Earthquakes guy, came up through at least in the latter stages of his youth career. I don't know about the beginning, but came up through through their youth levels in San Jose. Um, he's also a player for the U.S. U-17. So as a, you know, as a U.S. national team and youth national team, you know, viewer, seeing Fuentes start was interesting for me to see kind of what his game was. But I can, I mean, from a Reno perspective, I can absolutely understand being a little bit irritated that your your starting number 10 is being replaced by this kid in a, in a really important away fixture. So I absolutely understand that. The timing, honestly, for Reno, though, wasn't terrible. Getting a chance to to bring on fresh legs at the start of that second half, you had momentum going into halftime, trying to see if you can carry that over into the beginning of the second half. I think, you know, as far as the substitution timing goes, was actually decent. Um, so I think Reno put themselves in a decent spot at the beginning of that half. And it didn't take them long to score, did it? <laughs> Uh, 53rd minute, Daniel Musovski, um, the man who nearly put them on the board in the first half. You know, Reno even had a couple chances before he gets them on the board. But this time, um, I don't know, it looked like Duke Lacroix, or is it Lacroix? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, he had a shot that was blocked by Dumboya, who put a good foot in. But the ball bounces into the middle. Musovski beats Dia to the ball and just hammers it home like any good striker would and it's a whole new ball game are you guys concerned at this point or do you still feel like there's so much time rising will find a way i mean me personally i was i wasn't concerned um i mean we had opportunities early on and i knew given dollar beer night that more opportunities would come um but i mean yeah it was just an unfortunate run of play and from dumbuya there I mean, he's just really unlucky, it seems. You know, he he thinks he's going to make that stop, and it just goes through his leg and hits hits him on the ankle, it looks like, and pops up and falls perfectly for Musovsky, who just puts it in. So really unfortunate, but I, I still thought, you know, 1-1 was not how this match was going to end. I totally agree with that last sentence there. That's That was really what was going through my head at the time is – it was obviously, from a Phoenix perspective, unfortunate that Reno got on the board just you know a few minutes after halftime. But just from how open the game was, even though Phoenix tried to play a little bit more defensive coming out of the coming out of halftime, the game was still open, and it really did feel like, though Reno had scored and leveled it at one-one, that there were going to be more goals one way or the other. And is it weird that it one in a way felt like justice was served because Reno had been on the front foot for so long that probably deserve to be on level terms and two it was kind of a relief because i'm like all right now we're actually going to start attacking again you know if that kept going as one nil into the last 20 minutes and then they tie it maybe our offense is so out of sync but with 40 minutes still left okay we can kick it into gear we can get things going again there's enough time where we can get that flip that switch get that attack mentality back it may yeah i don't know it may have served as sort of a wake-up call to the guys coming out of halftime and realizing, oh, it's tied. You know, we got to push. We got to push to keep these streaks alive. We got to push to make sure that we come out of here with three points. So I, I can see where you're coming from there, Dom. Yeah. No, I, that's absolutely a great point. And I think we've seen it from Rising in the past that, you know, 
sometimes we get you know smacked in the face and especially coming out of halftime um to have it happen was probably a good time because you know we still had over i think it was about 40 minutes at that point left in the match to, to go out there and get us a goal so and it didn't take very long because four minutes later um this whole play is started by adam john who i think is the unsung hero in the situation not a great initial cross but Adam John runs it down, tracks it down before it gets out of bounds, plays it in, and I don't know who played the ball for Dia. Bacaro. On that one. Yeah, okay. And Bacaro plays it to Dia, who's making that run, and there's not much controversy about it. Dia gets taken down. Raul Mendiola gets Dia, not the ball. Clear penalty. Kyle, take me through what you saw on this play. I mean, you gave a great description there. I mean, Adam John, I think, as you said, unsung hero for sure, because, I mean, this is one of those plays that it's almost a nothing play, you know, without Vaccaro having the awareness and Dia making that late run. Um, I mean, this play does not happen. But, you know, John has the awareness, picks out Vaccaro, and Vaccaro just to lay it off to the on-running Dia on his left. And, I mean, absolutely clear penalty. I ble- You said Mendiola, who who fouls i think mendiola goes through him doesn't even get the ball i mean absolute penalty um i I don't think you could argue that and i mean as you said came at the perfect time because i think you know this is what we love to see out of rising that even you know when a team will equalize we'll come right back at them there's no uh there's never say die in us and it's it's awesome to see yeah for me joseph any technical observations there I, this is one of those plays that I feel like is difficult to analyze uh, tactically a little bit. I, I thought of this when it was happening, and then I was floating around on Twitter a little bit the last couple of days. It really is just a fantastic hustle play from Adam John getting down to the end of that cross, not letting it just roll out of bounds for a Reno throw-in, but hustling, getting that ball, and putting it back into midfield for Baccaro and, and Dia to make a play. It's just fantastic effort. And I think for a striker who who hasn't been scoring as many goals recently, who's been facing a lot of compact defenses not in this Reno game by any stretch but but teams are making it really difficult for him to score goals so finding ways to still impact the game as a forward when you're not scoring is really the sign of a complete striker I mean a guy who can who can work in other parts of the game defensively working off the ball offensively chasing down you know loose balls like this I mean we see that from Adam John every week even when he's not on the score sheet so I absolutely want to give credit to him for for really making that play happen Definitely, and Amadou Dia's been a guy that the last couple seasons, he's been a force going up the left wing, but I think in past seasons it was more of his crossing prowess. This year he's been more directly involved, not just in goal scoring, but in setting up opportunities. I mean, he drew the dubious penalty in the Open Cup against New Mexico United, but he's not afraid to make those runs up the wing, even inside the box this year. I feel like that's an area of growth. And it, it really makes teams make difficult choices because you either have to mark Amadou Dia making that tight run where he can cross the ball in or one-time it, or you have to give Baccaro a chance from 12 yards out. I mean, that's a tough choice, and that extra dimension results in defenses making the wrong choices a lot more frequently. 100%, yeah. I think when you have Flemings and Dia 
and, and either Bakero or Akinaga usually on that one side, sometimes it's Lambert as well, it can be easy to overload, you know, the, the right side of opposing defenses. So it's it's sort of a pick your poison, right? That's exactly what you're saying. You have to choose between, you know, letting Flemings cut in on his right foot, tracking Dia with a late arriving run, or stepping back to that midfielder for either a shot or a, a pass into the box from, you know, just a few yards outside the box. So it's not an easy thing to choose defensively it's hard to to decide how you want to defend them and and who you want to give preference to who you're least scared of so it's it's definitely a weapon phoenix rising's wing play is a weapon on both sides of the field this year for sure absolutely as you'll see with the fourth goal kind of a similar deal where lambert's able to play a nice ball in someone's making a run in close proximity tough choices for the defense and another penalty comes out of it. I mean, just our our improvement in technical uh, short passing. It's just a it's becoming a weapon that most USL defenses don't know how to deal with. But I mean, we still have the penalty to take. And uh, Kyle, what are your thoughts when Asante stepping up? I mean. Just nothing but confidence. I mean, we've all seen it from Asante week in and week out. This guy is, is our penalty taker. And um, for me, I mean, you know, he just makes Bersano think there, ends up diving to his left and uh, or to his right, and Asante just goes left, buries it in that left post, and just a beautiful taken penalty. Um, I mean, all the goalie can do is look back at it, and all the rising fans can do is celebrate and throw beer. So uh, just beautiful. And two minutes later, we double that advantage. Um, another one of these plays where we're attacking in close quarters. And holy smokes. Kev Lambert, Kevon Lambert, <laughs> Kevin Lambert. Kevon. <laughs> I'm going to go with Kevon. But anyways, unbelievable back heel there to Dumboya. First shot is blocked, but the rebound bounces right there for him. Puts it in. 3-1. And the energy in the supporter section after that second goal in less than three minutes, it was palpable. It was probably as crazy as I have seen it in a regular season match. And shortly after that, all the supporter section singing together for five to ten minutes. It was unbelievable. That whole sequence was, was really nice. You spotlighted that that back heel from from Kev Lambert there and that honestly had if my jaw could unhinge and hit the hit the floor that was I was just shocked to see that Kevon Lambert um, seeing that level of skill and quality from Lambert is something that I think maybe has been missing at least from his from his skill set in games I'm sure he, he pulls out tricks like that in training a decent amount but getting to see a really polished play like that in in the box in the final third was fantastic and I think that's the level that his game needs to progress to as he as his career continues getting to see some more technical passing and, and some vision before he even gets the ball picking out his next pass and things like that is going to do wonders for him as he continues on so getting to see a little glimpse of that on that goal was was fantastic to see in my opinion and you could just tell that reno was rattled at that point i mean to play that hard, to go toe-to-toe with us, and then three minutes 
minutes and you're down by two goals. You're down by more than you were at the beginning before you started this comeback. That's just, that's what we can do to any team, but you throw in the dollar beer night factor and it just seems to be magnified how we can just score goals in bunches like that and it's just demoralizing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can see it on the Reno players after that goal from Dumbuya goes in. Absolutely demoralizing. I mean, just one step forward, two steps back for them. And I mean, just absolutely beautiful run of play from Lambert. And then Dumbuya, I mean, I know he's gotten gotten ragged on for not having scored yet for us. And uh, for him to finally be able to follow up that shot that gets blocked and put it in, I mean, just the weight that's lifted off of his shoulders. So great to see that guy be able to score and in front of the south end, no less. As you said, Dom, the atmosphere at that point was insane. Probably the best that we've had at Phoenix Rising Soccer Complex this season. I, I really think that when we got the entire supporter section singing together, you know, we were able to provide one of those atmospheres that uh, these players, they probably just love the shit out of it. I had chills. Yeah, yeah, because, I did too. I mean, there've been there's the occasional match where they'll do one chant the whole supporter section unites but it was really like it was almost 10 minutes where it was going for two or three chants and it was unbelievable i mean it was for especially for a regular season match i haven't seen anything like that no no not in person i have not and i mean yeah as you said like over 10 i think it was like the 68th 69th minute when it started and it seemed like it went yeah until about the 80th so i mean just great moments to be able to to be a part of and i mean dollar beer night magic continues but credit to reno i think a lot of teams would have just folded up their tent gone in the bus gone home um and just tried to get out of there without conceding too many goals they still gave it a fair shot um they replaced Raul Mendiola with Siad Haji um they make another substitution Aiden Apodaca comes on for Musovski we bring on Aguinaga for uh John Vaccaro who wasn't having the greatest match um and Reno had a couple chances half chances before the goal and then 74th minute they pull one back. They make it 3-2. Joseph, take us through this play because you had a better view of this than we did. This goal, I think, was just a great example of of Reno's skill and possession. They had a great just it was a, just a really lovely sequence from them. They it ended the sequence ended with a 3v2 with three Reno attackers just positioned directly around Phoenix Rising's two center backs. So Reno played the ball behind Phoenix's midfield line. And then they had that 3v2 advantage against against Phoenix's two center backs. And it was, at that point, it's over. That close to the goal with a man advantage in the middle of the field, I mean, 90% of the time, the attacking team is going to convert that. So I think in that instance, we saw a little bit of Phoenix's just general discomfort playing a slightly deeper defensive shape. Coming out of halftime, Schantz, uh, you know, dropped his wingers back. And instead of defending in a, in a high 4-3-3, it was more of a of a 4-5-1 with a little bit more of a defensive focus. And I just, at times, it looked like the players almost didn't know how to do that, which is understandable. Um, I think, sure, they've obviously all defended in that shape before with different teams or, or with Phoenix in previous years or even for brief moments earlier in the season. But you can tell that it's not 
that's not what they're generally comfortable with. So maybe a little bit of a defensive lapse from Phoenix as well in that lower defensive shape, but also just a really clever attacking play from Reno with some very solid uh, positioning and possession. Yeah, and at this point you're thinking this might be a real nerve-wracking finish. I mean, Reno is one of the few other teams that can score goals in bunches. Since they've come into the league, they've been a top 10 offense each season. Uh, this year, they're on pace again. And thankfully, we don't have to sweat too long because four minutes later, um, just a really good play set up by Fleming's passing the ball to Asante. And then Kavon Lambert, who I think of as one of the unsung heroes in this match, with he should have gotten the assist on Dumboya, but the initial shot was blocked. And then here he earns the penalty, um, and I think he uses his body very well here. It was a nice ball by Asante, good run by Kavan, but there's still work to be done. He could have tried to rush this shot, but he had the positioning, and it's a it's a tough spot to be in for Duke Lacroix for Reno, and Kavan just looked like he put his foot in front of Duke, which is smart, and then again it's a pretty clear cut penalty. Did I did I interpret it wrong, or is that what you saw, Joseph? That's essentially exactly what I saw. I think you highlighted that ball in from Asante that really was, I mean, perfect. It was a perfectly weighted cross cross pass, you know, whatever you want to call it, right to Lambert in stride. Lambert couldn't quite, you know, take that perfect first touch to to get around the defender, but he did the next best thing in in having the defender forcing that guy to go through him. And absorbing the contact from there. So I think you you set it out quite well there, Dom. I think that's essentially exactly what I saw. Kind of nice because, I mean, he kind of earned this penalty a little bit more, more solo did with the good pass. Um, and this one, he steps up. And again, this is, a, this is a big opportunity to ice it. Kyle, what are you thinking this time when solo steps up? You know, this time I think it was maybe I was a little more apprehensive just given, you know, Reno had just scored in this match, you know, as you said, had been very emotional. And Reno had really showed that they deserved to, you know, possibly earn a point out of this match. And we talked about it, you know, before this match, that a draw really is not is not a bad result in this match. So I really, you know, was wondering, is Solo going to convert this if he misses this? That gives Reno a lot of hope, but uh, I mean, once the whistle blew, there was never a doubt. Asante was putting that in the back of the net, and that's so true. Asante's penalty prowess is just—it's honestly insane. He, he seems to thrive on that pressure. I asked him about that after the game, about just you know dealing with pressure on penalties, and it, it seems like something he really embraces. He likes the the vibe from the crowd, the the energy that's coming, just the suspense right before that moment and he's just been clinical I mean three penalties I believe three penalties in the last two games and he's converted all three of them yeah yeah I think he he missed the first one against um, against Colorado Springs with that ridiculous performance by Rodriguez but he's made eight straight now so he's now eight of nine for the season Yeah, it's really impressive. Uh, you kind of feel for Adam John a little bit in terms of 
just as the striker not getting to take those penalties but there really is no one other than solo who's going to take those honestly he is he is the guy and then the rest of the way pretty straightforward um one thing of note peter lee vassal comes on and joseph why don't you introduce all the rising fans to peter lee vassal who is this guy so Peter Lee Vassal is on loan from LAFC, who Phoenix Rising have sort of an, an officially unofficial or unofficially official partnership with. Um, we've seen some other LAFC guys come down on loan. He's a Jamaican international. He played with Lambert and Flemings at the Gold Cup earlier this summer. Vassal, position-wise, is a central midfielder. He can play, you know, either as a number eight on either side of the field. He's not really a number six. He's not a defensive midfielder. He likes to get forward. He's pretty quick um, from the film that I'd watched on him and then also from his his brief cameo on Friday night. Uh, he's a really talented kid. I think from the film that I've watched on him, I would I would call him raw, which I assume is why he's down here with Phoenix. Um, Rick Schantz was pretty high on him after the game. Uh, he called him, the first part of his quote when I asked him about Vassal was, he's a gamer. I mean, he, he really is. He's a talented kid. Uh, he's been training with Phoenix this whole week, so he was here earlier in the week before the team announced him getting a chance to get acclimated with the rest of the squad. So we don't know, you know, Phoenix doesn't really know how long Vassal will be here, but if LAFC let him stay, uh, from what I understand, Vassal will keep getting opportunities to play and keep getting opportunities to get minutes. He needs to play in five games to be eligible for the postseason. So if we do see him play, you know, consecutively, if we see him play against Sacramento this week and maybe rotate into the, even the starting lineup during this congested fixture uh, list that's coming up over the next few weeks, then I think that's a good sign that LAFC are content to have him play and get minutes with Phoenix this season as they make that playoff push. Do you think he will be a regular starter or it just depends on what LAFC's plans are? A regular starter for Phoenix right now, I think he's probably still on the outside looking in. It's hard for me to picture him breaking into, I mean, breaking past Piquero or Aguinaga just because those guys have really been solid this season. But I think he, he might have more talent than, than either of those guys just in terms of raw ability. So, I mean, like I said earlier, it's so hard to predict uh, what that starting midfield trio would look like in terms of the starting lineup. But only time will tell, really. And uh, just to do a little plug here, I'm going to have a, a longer piece analyzing his game, his brief minutes from from Friday, and some film I've watched on him earlier, and then some full some full quote some full quotes from Shantz on on Vassal's performance and his his opportunities with Phoenix. All of that out on RisingTactics.com later this week. So we'll see on Vassal. Time will tell. Yeah, sorry we didn't give you a plug at the very beginning. Might as well do it now. Um, <laughs> So you, you created this Rising Tactics website. You also have a Twitter account for it. You write for The Athletic. You occasionally contribute for Firebird Soccer. Thanks for that. Um, where can you be found on Twitter? Are there any other places I missed? No, I think you did a great job. So all of my Phoenix Rising content is on Twitter, at Rising Tactics. My personal Twitter account, where I, I nerd out about, about a bunch of other soccer stuff, is at Joe and Cleats. But uh, I'm, I'm hoping to continue to expand my Phoenix Rising coverage over the next you know, couple of years. So the, the medium may change slightly over time, but, but for this season, definitely for the rest of the season, risingtactics.com is, is the place to read all of my stuff. I'll have a feature coming out on uh, Phoenix Rising in the, in the post-DDA era coming for The Athletic. 
uh, hopefully later this week, but I'm not entirely sure on when that will get polished up. So just keep your eyes peeled for that. And uh, yeah, I think I think Dom, you did a good job of highlighting everything. I appreciate that. No problem. We got to support each other out here. Um, so the, the match ends 4-2. Before we move on to other stuff, let's go around and say who our men of the match are. Kyle, who was your man of the match? I mean... Looking back now, you kind of made a good argument for Lambert. So for me, though, I think I still have to go Asante um, just because he goes out there. He makes that penalty happen that Lambert ends up winning. He makes it with that beautiful pass, and he scores those two penalties for us, which, you know, in a 4-2 match, if uh, if he doesn't show up on those two penalties, we're looking at a draw. So for me, I got to go solo. For me, just just to be different, I think if I had – you know, if I had to choose, I would pick Asante as my man of the match as well. But just to provide a little bit of a different angle here, I think Junior Fleming's getting that opening goal was huge. Phoenix Rising jumping out to an early lead, getting the crowd involved, getting the team on the front foot, even though it didn't end up really lasting for the rest of the half, I think was huge. So I'll give it to Junior Fleming's. Maybe he'll he'll start to get back a little bit into goal scoring form and he'll keep running, cutting into that right foot from that left wing. And I already made the argument for, for Kavan slash Kev uh, Lambert. <laughs> so I'm going to stick to my guns there. Um, it was really going through a deeper analysis of this match where I just realized what a key cog he was in this win. I don't recall him making too many bad passes either. I would love to see advanced stats and see what his passing percentage was because that could make me look better or dumber. But <laughs> yeah, I'll stick with I'll stick with Lambert on this one. So I think that does it for our coverage of this Phoenix-Reno match. Um, the team news we were going to discuss, I think Joe did a great job explaining who Peter uh, Lee Vassal is, what his role will be. So we don't really need to c cover that. Um, that was the big team news. Let's go preview Reno's arch rival who's coming to town this weekend, Sac Republic. And... Uh, just, just to give a little bit of information about Sac Republic, Sac Republic with a big win over Colorado Springs, 4-0 this weekend. And the big takeaway here is their brand new signing, Thomas Enivoldson, gets a brace in this 4-0 win. Enivoldson, it didn't seem like he was quite fulfilling his potential with Indy 11. A lot of our fans will remember him as a Orange County uh, key contributor for them last season. And one of the top three vote getters in the MVP race um, he is a dynamic player who can do it all last year he was in double digits for goals and assists and you know he scored over 20 goals last year I think and Sacramento has been a team when Cammy Wasson isn't putting the ball in the net they've really struggled for goals so having another option is going to help their offense a lot what do you guys think this this is kind of a tricky match I mean we were talking off-air. Sac Republic, we have two draws and two losses against them in our last four matches. Our last win over them was 2017 at home. And we only have two wins over Sac Republic in franchise history. Um, last year, they beat us 3-1 at our own building, and then we got that nil-nil draw. And that was one of the just worst, you know, worst feelings after a match of the entire season. 
Um, and then even the match earlier this year, they were very physical, very compact, nil-nil draw. Do you guys see this being a more defensive game than some of our recent ones? I think I haven't watched a ton of film on Sacramento, but I think they they might be a little bit foolish not to play a little bit more defensive and force Phoenix to break them down unless unless I'm totally wrong and they can play like Reno did and keep the game open and still go toe to toe with Phoenix for much of the game. I would be I would be a little surprised. I think that would be pretty ambitious from Sacramento. But they I mean at the same time they have the attacking talent. You mentioned and Voldenson, um, and they also have Kamawasa as well. Those guys can score. They can score on anybody, and if Phoenix isn't careful defensively, they will. So maybe one of the things that I'll be watching for on Friday is how Phoenix's midfield and backline deals with those two guys and, and contains them and tries to keep them in front of that backline and not let them get too deep into Phoenix's attacking half and cause any real damage for Zach Lubin. Yeah, another thing to remember with Sac Republic, um, their consistent starting keeper for the last year and a half, Josh Cohen, formerly of Phoenix Rising, recently signed a deal to go play in Israel. So he is no longer a part of the Sac Republic squad. Um, this guy named Bruce Shuttleworth, who has some MLS experience with Minnesota United, or Bobby Shuttleworth, excuse me, he is their new starting keeper. Mixed mixed results for him thus far, but it stands to benefit us that Cohen won't be in the back of the net because he's a guy that we all know is rock solid. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. Um, and actually, uh, Tyler Blackwood recently departed Sacramento for St. Louis as well. So, a couple rising former rising players that you know won't won't be there, but. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, bringing in Envolson, I think that's a huge signing for Sacramento, and the fact that he's already gotten off to a brace in his for, in his debut, I mean, he's really going to be a player that Rising's going to know well, and we're going to want to, you know, be able to control the entire match. Um, like Joe said, I really think the way this match plays out depends on Sacramento's tactics. Um, you know, if they do sit back and try to play compact and defensively, it could be a very long, difficult night. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I think, I think this team, I think they're well equipped to play either way now, given that they have Envolton, someone who up top who can just do anything. I think, you know, they could work the ball around and hit him out on the wings if they need to, or they could just sit back and, uh, play the ball on the pitch. So we'll have to see. This should be a very difficult match. I would think, uh, I mean, this, this match right here definitely sticks out to me just given the history like Dom went into. Yeah, they've only conceded 26 goals from 23 matches. That's only four more than we have conceded. They're the fourth best defense in the Western Conference, um, and they're right on El Paso's heels. Offensively, only 34 goals scored, and that's after a 4-0 win. But maybe that number increases as the season progresses with Thomas in the fold. Give me some score predictions, guys. How do you think this is going to go down? Oh, man. Score predictions are tough. If I, if I had to make a, a choice here, maybe 2-1 Phoenix, I, I'd lean to thinking that maybe Sacramento would be a bit more defensive. Uh, and I think Phoenix still has the quality to get through some of those tighter defenses. But then at the same time, Sacramento also has that attacking power. I'd be, 
I mean, I would be pleasantly surprised if Phoenix kept a clean sheet, but it just feels like kind of a safe bet to, to give Sacramento at least one, even though it's on the road on dollar beer night. So I'll go ahead and say 2-1 Phoenix as a completely uneducated guess. See, I'm thinking 2-0. I'm thinking Lubin comes out, keeps the clean sheet, and I go get my truck washed next Saturday. So I'm going 2-0. I think, <laughs> I think it's going to be difficult, but we get the job done. I like the optimism there, and I'm kind of torn because you guys kind of took the scores I was debating. <laughs> I think if this was not a dollar beer night match, we might see the streak end. I think if this was a Saturday, this might actually be a draw. But the dollar beer night magic will find a way, and I think I think 2-1. I'm going to copy your score, Joe. I'm sorry. I think we're going to pull it out 2-1. This is another one of those matches where it might come down to the last 30 minutes. But I think we'll find a way. Uh, Solo will find a way to score again. And Adam John is due for a goal, so I think maybe he'll pull out a winner. 2-1. I like it. I like that. Yeah, I like that. That's I think I, John, John for me, if he if he I think he needs to get back in his goal scoring form. As we said, he's been contributing, but he's a striker just to get him get one in the back of the net. I think that's going to be huge. So, hopefully uh hopefully we're seeing something in our crystal ball. All right. It's something that we don't actually want to talk about, but with all the news, it's probably the Second biggest story in U.S. soccer this week, behind us extending our dollar beer night streak to 14-0-0. Damn straight. St. Louis is going to be in the MLS. Uh, Thursday, there were a lot of tweets coming out, a lot of news coming out that St. Louis is planning a event, an announcement event on Tuesday. So by the time you guys are listening, they might actually be announced as an MLS side. St. Louis... It's supposed to be official on Tuesday, August 20th. Um, I don't know if they're going to be starting next season or the season after, but uh, that's. I'm sure Aaron Blau, if he were on, would would have some uh, unsavory terms about St. Louis. But, you know, let's try to steer clear of the which cities deserve it, which ones don't. What are your brief thoughts on this? I mean, for me... Um... I mean, we kind of we saw the writing on the wall, and uh, with the way that expansions have gone over the past few years, I can't say that I'm that surprised. Um, it's disappointing as a Phoenix fan, but like we said, there's not too much to uh, to dwell on. The one thing that I'm not very very clear on right now is is this current St. Louis FC franchise being promoted to MLS, or is this a different ownership group? And will the St. Louis USL team no longer exist once there's an MLS squad. Do you know? That's a really good question, Kyle. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I feel like I should know the answer to that, but I, I really don't. So that's that's something worth researching for sure. Yeah, I don't have any extra insight there on which players are going to stay in the fold, which ones are going to go. I imagine they'll keep the same badge and colors but I don't know if the ownership's going to change because I know a big part of the appeal for St. Louis to MLS is that there are some big money owners in their camp Uh, big money American owners wasn't it a family that's behind the Enterprise Rental Car Company 
Um, again, I don't I don't have the hard stuff on it because I am not a hashtag uh, MLS to the loo fan, but but uh, that's that's happening. It's another city from the Midwest joining MLS, joining Cincinnati and Nashville. Do you guys think this actually has any impact on Phoenix Rising's MLS odds? To me, nothing has really changed from this announcement. Uh, I think just judging from what we were hearing at when MLS and USL had their, their meetings in Orlando a couple weeks ago for around the MLS All-Star game, it sounded like from what Don Garber's comments uh, were saying that it was going to be St. Louis, and then it looks like we're going to see Sacramento although we've been saying that for a while now, so who knows. Um, and then Charlotte seems to be pretty high up the pecking order as well with their bid. So for me, it seems like Phoenix is pretty much, Phoenix's bid, I mean, there are still some holes in it, let's be honest. There are some holes in the bid. The club is doing a good job of focusing on just enjoying what, what accomplishments they're achieving now and enjoying the experience of playing in USL and, and breaking records and just being a real draw. I think they've done a did an excellent job of focusing on the present and letting the future happen. Obviously there are people behind the scenes who are working on, you know, ensuring that future and figuring out what league ultimately five, 10 years from now, Phoenix rising will be playing in. But for me, and I think for a lot of people, the focus is on what the team is doing this season and the accomplishments that, that they're achieving along the, along the way. It's, it's a crazy ride. And I think it's pretty cool to, to be a part of it, even just from an outsider's perspective, regardless of what ends up happening with the team's MLS future. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because I spoke to Dave Rappaport a couple weeks ago, and he didn't seem to be sweating it too much. He seemed like he had the impression that MLS was going to keep expanding, that there wouldn't necessarily be a cap on it at 30 teams or 32 teams even because the expansion fees help the MLS stay afloat and stay profitable. Um, you know, could we potentially see MLS do internal pro-rel if it gets big enough? Could we see a situation where MLS takes maybe four of the top USL cities at some point, kind of like an NBA-ABA merger? I don't know, but that all seems more likely than the MLS capping at 30 or 32 and we're not going to get in at some point. I'm totally with you. I think it's not realistic to expect right now that MLS is going to put a hard cap and put a limit on those financial resources that flow in from these expansion deals. So, again, I really don't think that anything has changed for Phoenix with this news. Uh, you know, happy for St. Louis if, if a lot of the fans there are excited about getting, getting an MLS team. Uh, but I think Phoenix is still just as likely to make it into the league today as they were uh, in a month or two ago. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with both of you guys, um, Dominic. I mean, you you bring up great points, and and personally, I think that this is all part of Don Garber's vision, uh, as you said, to create a situation where the NBA absorbs the top ABA teams, where MLS takes the top USL teams, creates its own internal pro rel, and brings pro rel to all the people who have been screaming for it for over 20 years now here in the U.S. I think I think it's just a slow process. Um, it, I mean, it's no question Phoenix will get into MLS. It's just going to take a little bit of time, but I have no problem winning championships in the second division until then. And I think one thing that is 
worth mentioning in all this MLS talk. Some people have been concerned that, all right, the ownership group maybe will get frustrated if MLS doesn't get announced after a few years. That is not the impression that I've gotten. Um, again, David made it seem like the owners are still very involved in the process. They still, no matter whether we're going to be first or second division, are super passionate about fielding the best team possible. And they really are in this, for the long haul, um, bringing a quality soccer franchise to the state of Arizona, whatever level that is. They just want to be playing the highest quality possible. So I hope that that calms some fans' fears because I have definitely heard it. Even in an article this week on the supporters page on Facebook, which, you know, all all the supporters on Facebook pages, uh, they can have some fun comments. But, no, I, I think they're in it for the long haul, so I would not be too concerned. I don't think it matters that much. Agreed. Yeah. So let's yeah. let's yeah let's put that to bed because there's so much better stuff to talk about than that. <laughs> um. Oh, we didn't mention it last uh, during the match recap, but Solo got honorable mention for USL Championship Team of the Week in the two-one win over El Paso. Um. I mean that's that's an interesting one, but. Whatever, he's he's been amazing. He deserves to be MVP. Let's go to some USL Championship scores, though. Kyle, were there any that stood out to you? Yeah, you know, there there actually was a couple matches this week that, that really did stand out to me. Um, the one that, you know, really stood out and we talked about was OKC going up to Portland and getting a 4-2 win. I think that that's a huge win for an OKC team who's you know, in the thick of it in this playoff race right now, that win gets them up to eighth place. Um, so I, I, me, that's a big win. And then another one that, you know, it's maybe not the most attractive scoreline, but I think it was a very fun game was the Sacramento RGV match, this Texas rivalry. Um, San Antonio actually goes up 2-0 in this match. And RGV comes back and gets two late goals. I, I mean, really, you know, heartbreaking for San Antonio to drop points at home, but fun match for from an outsider perspective. And if I can just throw in one more game in there that I think is worth briefly mentioning, Fresno and the Monarchs uh, drawing 1-1, pretty much an ideal result uh, for Phoenix. It puts Fresno uh, level, level in uh, second place. You know, they're actually even ahead on goal difference, but maybe they're, they're behind in wins. So Fresno is now just level with Reno on 44 points, which gives Phoenix a nine-point cushion. So they went into that game as a, a three-versus-four matchup with the Monarchs uh, in fourth and Fresno in third, and it pretty much went exactly how Phoenix Rising you know, would have preferred. Maybe maybe a, a real Monarchs win would have been slightly better just to take that extra point away from Fresno, but keeping those two teams deadlocked is definitely not a bad thing from a Phoenix perspective. No, not at all. Um, the match that stood out to me a little bit further down the table. Timbers 2 with 2, and they lose because OKC gets 4. It's a 4-2 win on the road for OKC. Um, Esele gets a brace in the 20th and 56th minutes. Um, and then goals from uh, Williams and Ibeega to close it out for the 4-2 win. 
this is not a result I saw coming. I mean, Timbers 2 has been in much worse form since the middle of June, since we beat them at the last second. But at home against OKC, I mean, OKC has been struggling mightily themselves. They had a home draw against Tulsa recently. So you would you would not expect OKC to, to pick up, I mean, maybe a draw, but not a win like that on the road. Um, and that just brings the bottom of the Western Conference into that much more chaos. OKC jumps up to 8th there. Timbers 2 is down to 10th. And I mean, two teams that were up there in 2nd and 3rd place a month and a half ago are now almost outside of the playoffs. I mean, Timbers 2 and 10th, El Paso in 11th. It's this just conference is just ridiculous. That's exactly right. The bottom of the Western Conference right now, there are six points that separates Orange County in 13th place and Austin Bold in 4th place. Six points between 4th and 13th. That's absurd. Phoenix is sitting pretty at the top of the West, but basically if you're anywhere outside that top three right now, you're at risk of, of not making in the playoffs, or if you're outside the current playoff field, you've got a shot to make it. So the rest of the, the season is going to be absolutely insane for the, the bottom of the Western Conference. It's going to be mayhem as the season comes to a close, as the regular season comes to a close, that is. I'm trying to see if any teams... I mean, New Mexico, for example. It's not hyperbole to say that with four days from the end of the regular season they could be sitting in 11th place, and with two wins, they could have a first-round bye. That's not hyperbole at all. They could miss the playoffs or be top six based on results in the final four days of the season. That's how bunched up things are, and that's what it has the potential to be. I think there's going to be some phenomenal match day 34 drama uh, in the USL this year, and I, for one, am here for it. We might have OKC's playoff fates in our hand. Uh, we host them the very last day of the season. OKC has been consistently on that playoff borderline. Their playoff hopes could be in our hands. It's going to be a crazy end of the year, that's for sure. Yeah, and just rounding out the other scores around the West, um, Los Dos, the run of form they have been on is just incredible. They are my team team besides phoenix rising of the western conference the last month and a half they get a 2-2 draw in new mexico one of the toughest places to play they go down a man in the first half and they still pick up a goal and then kavon freighter ties it with a penalty but i mean the effort that los dos has shown this year is just something to be applauded i mean this is a two team that originally was strong but the last couple years they've been pretty much a dumpster fire and they've been getting all these incredible away results it's i don't know what's going on down there but they're doing phenomenal and it makes that comeback against them that much more impressive yeah there are no pushovers there are no pushovers that's for sure um austin bold with a 5-1 win over tulsa there's no surprise there that's really all we need to say about that tulsa is just garbage um El Paso with a 2-0 over Tacoma. They really, really are struggling to score goals. Um, this is another match without uh, Key Sweater, but they do put two in the back of the net. Uh, they started Fox up top again, 
Um, but the, the goal in that match, Partita had a sweet bicycle kick. And that's a good thing to see. You know, in front of the home fans for the first time since that shooting, they get a win. Yeah, yeah. Unreal bicycle kick. I think it even made Sports Center top 10. And, uh, yeah, I mean, great for them, you know, to be able to get that win at home. I, I believe they did a little moment of silence and recognize all the victims. And I saw there was a big El Paso strong TIFO, too. So cool for them to be able to get that result. But like you said, against a Tacoma, 2 nils not really a, it's not really something to write home about. And rounding out the Western Conference, OC gets back on the right track a little bit um, against Las Vegas Lights. This match actually stays nil-nil until the last 25 minutes, but Orange County gets three on the board with uh, Van Ivick, Aiden Quinn, and Michael Seaton. And then Vegas in Vegas fashion pulls out a red card in the 89th. So <laughs> good on you, Vegas. Way to keep the memes flowing. That's what we're all here for. Um, and so to run down the standings, we got us at the top with 53. We got Reno and Fresno on 44 points each. Fresno with two matches in hand on Reno. In fourth place, we have Austin with 36. Fifth place, Rail Monarchs with 35. They have played two matches fewer than Austin and three fewer than Reno. So Monarchs could be a team that jumps into the top four, maybe even top three, if they can keep this form up. Sixth place, we got Sacramento and New Mexico, both on 34 points. Eighth place and ninth, we got OKC and Los Dos, each on 33. We got Timbers 2 and El Paso, both on 32 points. And then 12th place, San Antonio with 31. 13th, Orange County with 30. 14th, Vegas Lights with 27 and then uh, you're getting down to the teams that don't have much of a shot. RGV with 25 points, Colorado Springs 22, Tulsa and Tacoma down at the bottom. Who's uh just before we wrap things up, who's one team you think is in the playoffs that will miss it? Who's one team that's out that will get in? For me, I have to say El Paso, um, just because, I mean, they're on 23 matches. When you look above them, 7 through 10 are all on 24, 25. They're right there in the mix. And then who might miss? Ah, I could see Timbers 2 almost missing. I could see them swapping El Paso making it and Timbers 2 just missing out. Um, yeah. For me, I'll go. I mean, El Paso, I think, is is definitely one that's in consideration for that. San Antonio in twelfth place, they're undeniably talented. They really are. We saw what they could do against Phoenix in the opening game of the season, essentially going toe to toe in that draw. San Antonio in twelfth place, I could see them hopping up. And then, yeah, either maybe T two or or Oklahoma City Energy. I think the rest of those teams, Dom talked about the Galaxy two earlier, and and the run of form they've been in. I think. You know, the rest of those teams are, are kind of hard to envision outside the playoff hunt. But then again, anything can happen, especially in this crazy league. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to steal your thunder there, uh, Mark. Or not Mark. So, so, so. Oh, my gosh. Joe. <laughs> no worries. Um, I'm going to steal your thunder and <laughs> take San Antonio as one of the teams to jump in. I was looking at their schedule. 
Uh, and they have a lot of winnable matches. They have a lot of matches against teams who are not realistically in the playoff hunt. They have a, a match against Tulsa still. They have a match against Tacoma. They have a match to end the season um, hosting Colorado Springs. They have a, you know, a late season match at Las Vegas. So a lot of matches where they could, they could really pile up the points. And it doesn't take too much to get into the top half of the Western Conference and make the playoffs. One team I think could miss... Oh, man, I mean, Kyle, you're you're right on with Timbers. That's one that concerns me. I, I love what Los Dos is doing, but I don't know how sustainable this is. They have a very tough run in the rest of the way. They still have just... I don't see one match the rest of this season until October where they're playing a non-playoff team. I mean, and that's the only non-playoff team they play the rest of the way. Everyone else the rest of the way on Los Dos' schedule is in the top 10 or just outside of it. So I am, I'm going to say Los Dos is probably a team that falls out. But if you had to give me another team, I could definitely see Timbers 2 or OKC. OKC has not set the world on fire, and they only have nine matches left this season compared to mm-hmm. some teams that still have 11-12. Yeah. I mean, it, it might have been a season-saving win against Timbers, too, but that's still, they're not in a great spot. Yeah, that's a great point. I I mean, it really could come down to that that win right there, OKC taking points away from Timbers, too, on the end, uh, at the end of the season. So, uh all those teams, I mean, they're right in the mix. It's it's going to be fun coming into this end of the season, that's for sure. Um, and let's let's kind of wrap things up. You guys have both been great today. One thought that's been in the back of my head, but it's been more on the forefront lately with this continued winning streak. Last year, FC Cincinnati sets the USL season points record, single season points record, with 77 points. Um, They finished the season on that big winning streak to get that number as high as it was. Phoenix rising right now, with 23 matches played and 11 remaining, has 53 points. Do you guys think we will set the single season record for points? I think so. I think, I mean, this... This whole season has just been a year of just breaking records and defying the odds, and I, I really think they could do it this year. I mean, when you just when you look at the numbers like we were talking about off air, I, I think it's possible. I really, really do. I mean, it, we're gonna have to continue, you know, in the same type of form that we have, basically. Um, you know, maybe a couple drops here or there, but it, I mean, I I definitely could see this squad getting it done. I mean, I'm with Kyle on this one. I I mean, I'm hesitant to say one way or the other, but I do absolutely think that if any team could do it, it's this year's Phoenix Rising team. I mean, just what they've done already this year has been insane, statistically absurd. Who's to say that that's going to stop anytime soon, you know? Can't argue with that. I mean, one thing that could pose an obstacle is we really have a lot of matches coming up. And we haven't had a stretch this season other than maybe late April, early May, where we had a lot of weekday matches. 
one of the silver linings of getting knocked out of the Open Cup so early and not suffering a month-long dip in form. <clears throat> New Mexico, St. Louis as well. But we have a lot of matches. I mean, we have Sacramento Republic at home. Then we have a Tuesday match in Tacoma, Saturday in Colorado Springs. That Colorado Springs match scares me a little bit. Short rest, moving up into altitude. They're not very good, but I, it's a hard match. I think if they were any better, we wouldn't win it. But because they're so down, I think we could still probably win it. But they always play us tough. It's going to be tough. Then, uh, then, then a home match against San Antonio. On three days rest, we go to Las Vegas for a weekday match. <clears throat> then Los Dos, who's a hard team. So that that stretch, there's a lot of matches being played in a short amount of time. I think that's five matches in 15 calendar days. It's going to be a real test of the depth. And if any team is capable of dealing with that, you know, that amount of games in that short amount of time, it's definitely Phoenix. Between PLV coming down from LAFC, um, I think we will start to see Corey Whelan in the fold over the next couple of weeks. I don't know when that will happen, and I don't think the coaching staff quite does either when he's you know fully up to speed with the team. But we're going to start to see some some rotation maybe even on Tuesday after that Sacramento game against uh, Tacoma. So it's going to be a test. His stretch is going to be tough, exactly like what Dom is saying. Uh, but if you know if they come out of these these next five games. Winning six six and twenty two days. Six and twenty two days. I mean, if they come out with those, winning at least two thirds of those games, then I think you're talking about them potentially breaking the record. I think we're gonna do it. It would be crazy if it comes down to the last day. Um, I mean, I feel good about our next two versus Sacramento, at Tacoma. Colorado Springs could be tricky. San Antonio at home should be a win. Vegas on a weekday could be tricky. Los Dos at home should be a win. So that's, I mean, we're just so tough to beat at home. So that's that's like four, say we win four of those six. Now we're looking at maybe 66 points with a draw in there too. Fresno and New Mexico back-to-back away matches is going to be super tough. Um, uh, there's actually a three week stretch where we play at Fresno, at New Mexico, at Timbers too. That's going to be what decides whether we get that record or not. If we can get at least five points from that stretch, I think we'll be in a good spot to do it. But if we don't, then we might be not quite able to do it. Um, I really see this coming down to the last day. And it, it kind of depends. Like last year, are we going to do more of the rotation as we wind down the season? with the first seed pretty well secured or are we going to keep pushing trying to set that, that single season record and make sure that guys are still in form i mean we'll see you're right only time will tell but uh it's it's definitely doable we just have to average about two points a match i mean that's <laughs> we've been doing better than that lately Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, like we said, we're, we have the depth. Um, it's, it's just, you know, it's, we're really going to have to wait and see how these, how these next, you know, eight matches play out, but, uh, it, it's going to be so fun. I, I really think that this team right now, they're just, they're world beaters. I mean, they're, they're getting it done week in and week out. And it, I mean, I think, uh, 
I think it'd be crazy to believe against them right now to think that they couldn't do it because uh, they've done everything that they've set out to do thus far. 100%. I'm with you, Kyle. So I think that'll do it for uh, for our regular part of the episode. Keep listening. We have a quick interview with um, our longest distance listener. Um, absolutely a very, very cool story. You're going to definitely want to stay on for this. It's uh, it's Matthew from Scotland. Um, he's been more of a Twitter presence this season uh, in the rising Twitter universe. But this guy... He just started following the team at the end of last year when we made the USL final. He watched his first match as the match we lost to Louisville, Drogba's last match. And he's been watching all of our matches at 5 in the morning in Scotland. Matthew McFadden, what a what a guy. And he came out to the U.S. for 10 days, so he saw our last match. He's going to be there again this upcoming Friday against Sac Republic. You're going to want to listen to this interview. He's here, but not for the reason you would think, with $2 beer nights. So, um, Kyle, what did you think from talking to him? I mean, that's just a cool story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely a cool story. And, you know, being on this podcast for so long to get to meet one of our fans and a fan from, you know, across the pond, no less, it's it's just absolutely so sick to be able to just get to talk with him and see him in person and you know get to see his perspective of phoenix rising you know being someone from scotland who you know gets to regularly go to spl matches and is a is a manchester united supporter as well so it's it's cool to get to hear you know the outside perspective and to get to you know talk to one of our fans face to face joseph did you hear about this at all I hadn't. This is the first time hearing of it right now. I'm excited to, to listen to it when the episode drops and, and hear his story. All right. Well, we will let the listeners get to that. Joseph, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate you coming on in short notice. Uh, thoughts and prayers to Aaron, who is not feeling the best. But I, th- I think it's a short-term thing, just feeling a little bit dizzy, which is easy to do with this heat wave. Yeah, no, definitely praying for Aaron and... uh. I enjoyed filling in this week, guys. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Yeah, great to have you, Joe. All right. Signing off and saying Uprising, this is Dominic Kearns. Have a great week, guys. We're here with probably our longest distance listener in the fucking world. That is not an exaggeration. How are you doing, Matt? I'll tell you what, man, I'm absolutely amazing. Like, to actually be here after, you know, doing a whole uni project in Phoenix Rising is just absolutely mad. And, you know, Fleming's going up banger, even better. So that was probably our shittiest half of the last two months, <laughs> yeah. and we're winning. How do you feel about that? It says a lot about the quality of the team, really. I mean, John Bacaro's passing has been a bit white, hasn't it? You sound what? like a fucking manager. Oh, mate, I do. All right. I what, know everyone. What additional insights you got on this first half? Um, it seems like for the last 15 minutes, they were just trying to be like, you know, just keep the ball. Don't do anything stupid. Don't, you know, do anything stupid to get yourself injured in the first half. But, no, I think the second half will... We absolutely trains them to be honest. Get a few more goals in. Kyle, do you feel like he's coming for your job right now? 
I, I mean, a little bit. Shit, with this accent. I mean, fuck, dude. I don't know what to say. But uh, no, I'm I'm with him absolutely. I think the second half it's gonna open up big time. Oh yeah. Just just come stateside. You're gonna get a job broadcasting for some USL team. You could no probably step it. into Tulsa's broadcast booth tomorrow. Oh. Easily. Don't get me started, though. Shit, commentators. <laughs> well, and that's what you got international, right? You had no choice. Exactly, yeah. What a bunch of hacks. So, what's the supporter culture like? What do you think about it? Um, see, if I was to compare it to the UK, like, everyone in here is, you know, like, wearing the shirts and stuff, whereas in the UK there's only, like, a third of them. It seems to be, I wouldn't say they're more passionate, but if you show it better. Like, for example, it was at the um, Arizona Cardinals game, you saw that as well. Like, everyone is so passionate about the team. Whereas in England and Scotland, it's kind of like, they obviously love the clubs, but it's not quite shown as much. Little caveat, it was preseason, so the people that are showing up for well, preseason yeah. I mean, probably yeah. give that's a true, shit. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh-huh. This, is a, this is a very well-supported club, though. I don't yeah. know if you see this kind of support in most USL cities. Have you been impressed so far? Oh, yeah. Like, Phoenix Rising, in terms of their branding, how they connect with fans and that, it's like, even better than pretty much every MLS team. Like, whenever I'm hearing stuff on Twitter coming from American soccer, it's always been Phoenix Rising related. Like, for example, the $1 beer night is a perfect way to connect fans together. So, as far as, you know, engagement with fans, absolutely perfect. How did you find Phoenix Rising being over 3,000 miles uh, away? Some good mates with Andrew Southwick, Red Brady Red on Twitter. Okay, right and, on. Um, so yeah, we just started talking. He was talking about his team, Phoenix Rising, the fact that Jogwa played there. That was in late 2017. The first ever game that I saw was the USL final last year. So not the best start, to be honest, but, you know, whatever. Hey, you know what? Little conspiracy theory, though. If their Louisville keeper didn't make that fucking incredible save in the 24th minute... Not to mention shit referees. Yes. If, if Freider was freed and he scored that goal, yeah. the whole thing was different. Yeah. And then I started watching pretty much every single game this weekend, this um, year, thanks to the fact that, you know, I did a whole big project for university about it, and that seemed to have gone down well, people seemed to like it, and since then I've stayed up to like half five in the morning, watching every single game, Phoenix. How would you respond if I called you a plastic for supporting us during this winning streak? Oh, I really wouldn't care. Don't care whatsoever. It's worth you did support us through that early season stretch, right? I did. Well, to be fair, I started, well, started supporting. I started probably watching during the you know, four consecutive draws, so not exactly too plastic. What do you think about his credentials being a long-time Arizona United supporter yourself? I, I mean, honestly, I'm open to any fan, and especially being somebody across the pond. I mean, bring it. I mean, absolutely. If he can spread the Phoenix Rising gospel over there in Scotland, I'm all for it. I'm just coming at you with a ridiculous personality right now. We welcome all fans, especially fans from like 5,000 miles away. That's epic. You hitting those Bud Lights or what, man? I see you got like a little lemonade. I'm the only person in Scotland to not drink alcohol. I know. Oh, my. I know. Same reaction from absolutely everyone. It's like, oh, what are you getting to drink? I'm just like, oh, lemonade, mate. So you came for a dollar, two dollar beer nights, and you don't drink. Well, I knew it was going to be instant win, so you know, oh, might as well go to a winning game. Hey, you know, that's the can't right argue now. with can't that. Argue with that. Cannot argue with that. Who's our best player? It's going solo. Who's no our most important player? Um, you know what? I'd say over the last few weeks, Zach Lubin. Like the amount of clutch saves that he's just made is just unbelievable. I like it. I like that you don't go with the easy answer there. My hot take is it's yeah. Bacaro. Oh yeah. You can argue that. I mean, he's not been a great this match, but... It just depends on your view of the game. Yeah. If, you're, if you see the saves, it's more valuable, or the playmaking more care. I mean, it goes both ways. Well, thank you so much for giving no us some time. Do you have any final thoughts, man? Enlighten the listeners. Who's your SPL team? I don't even have an SPL team. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best part. Oh, well, it would be Rangers, kind of. But my um, local team, St. Mirren, which Alex Ferguson used to manage, so... 
they're literally like five minutes away from me, but my main team's Man United, so it doesn't help with the plastic rumors. Actually, though, Man United takes a little bit of balls to support these days. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. that's the thing, they can't call us glory hunters anymore. Great glory hunters, so we need some glasses. Hey, it's no, it's no Steve Bruce led Newcastle, but. Well, yeah, I mean, Newcastle, that's a, a lucky. That's all I'm saying. They're just awaiting their potential, man. Mm, yeah, yeah. Keep saying that. The tune will rise again. We've been given a transition phase. We're not getting out of that shit. So we know what it's like to be in decline. Do you think Menu is more likely to miss Europa League or make Champions League this year? You know what? It was a good start. It was a good start last week. Perfect. It was on my birthday as well, so perfect start. And then, you know what? I'd say we're probably more likely to get top four. Even, I don't think we'll 100% get it, but more likely than that. Yeah. Than letting a team like Everton or Wolverhampton or whatever slip in, no chance. A lot of confidence, a lot of confidence. Have you hung out with uh, Mike Vanderplas at all? Not yet. I know he's in the uh, Red Fury section, but I'll be meaning to see him. Well, get out there, man. I know, I will. All right, I won't take up any more of your time. Thank no you so worries, much. Man. What's your name on Twitter? What's um, your name in general? at underscore Mafu, M-A-F-F-O. You know what? I'm going to make another plug. I've got an Etsy store. Go to offsidegraphics.com. Get yourself some football posters. We might need to hook up with you for some graphic design stuff, man. All right. Thank you so much for your time, Matt. Enjoy this week. Thank you very much. The Rising is One podcast is sponsored by the Arizona Sports Complex, home of the North Phoenix Soccer League, Summer Futsal, Box Lacrosse League, and Summer High School Advanced League. Please visit the Arizona Sports Complex and tell them the Rising is One podcast sent you. This episode is brought to you by Roughneck Scarves and Golden Gold Press. Thanks to our sponsor, Golden Gold Press, the best choice for you to get custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items just yourself and your organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price from other places at goldengoldpress.com. Also, thanks to Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Thanks also to the Beautiful Game Network and all the other excellent podcasts that you can find covering soccer and all things USL. USL.